0: Welcome back to the Metric Stack Podcast. Today, we're joined by Marissa Homer, VP of Marketing at Irwin. Not the toy company, but the investor relations software company. Marissa has built and scaled marketing in agencies, telecom, and software contexts. She's also shared her knowledge and experiences through teaching and volunteering. My name is Alan Villa, co-founder and CEO of Clipfolio, and I'm joined by Lauren Thibodeau. Welcome to the show, Marissa.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Marissa, we're thrilled to chat with you today about annual recurring revenue and specifically marketing contributed ARR. But before we get into the marketing part of it, could you just set the stage for us? What's the kind of business context we should have in mind for today's conversation?
2: Yeah, for sure. So both of those metrics generally are most relevant for SaaS-based subscription businesses, ARR being annual recurring revenue and then marketing contributed ARR being the contribution of marketing efforts towards that number. It's generally the number that a lot of SaaS companies are valued on and really important at executive tables and I would say in the larger technology space.
0: Yeah, so I mean just just for context, MRR is the monthly, right? Uh, ARR is the annual equivalent, so they're normalized for either monthly or annual. I think I think most people on this uh, on this show get that. But you know, marketing attributed ARR. Marketing has always been one of those things that is it's how do you specifically get into that and, you know, attribute that revenue portion to marketing in- initiatives? I think that's what everybody's probably struggling with.
2: Yeah, so I mean there are simplified ways of looking at it and there are more complex ways of looking at it. I think generally speaking, when I look at it, it's how much of the error that has been generated can be either influenced by marketing or directly contributed. So we all know that it's it's easier to directly contribute something from, say, an ad as the last touch or um, an organic search result. But I do think that technology is getting a little bit better and also at the same time a little bit worse at measuring marketing influence on, you know, even lead numbers or opportunity numbers. I I do think that, you know, the best way you can look at it is of the entire customer journey. Did marketing play any part in that? And that's a combination of, you know, quantifiable numbers from from tools that we have for marketing automation to just the word of our customers and prospect engaged in in conversations with us. So there's, there's a couple of ways to do it. Both involve some combination of tools and I would say savvy salespeople as well who are able to suss out that information.
1: And do you, when you're thinking about this, do you kind of segment it in any particular way? You mentioned a couple things now, last touch or word of mouth, like how can you actually kind of striate this and get a stronger correlation with some and weaker with other ARR or can you?
2: For sure. So we look at it through two ways. We have our sort of sales activation marketing, which is very bottom of funnel and very attributable usually to our advertising or any kind of marketing that we're doing digitally. And we also have that kind of same line with events. So we do quite a few events per year. So if a salesperson engages in a conversation from an event, be it virtual or in person, we manually change fields in our CRM to make sure that that's captured on the opportunity. And then there's this concept of marketing influenced, which is harder to measure, or it's something that I think a lot of marketing and sales teams create friction over, which is, you know, who got it first and who should get the credit. And I think it's, it's kind of a broken way of, of looking at it. And generally speaking, you know, the, the B2B Institute at LinkedIn has a whole great report on 2030 B2B marketing trends, but you are capturing mind share with your future buyers. So as much as as you can do that through brand building and awareness efforts, whether they be online or in person and capture that sort of touch point, it doesn't matter if it's 12 months or 18 months down the line, it's good to have a record of how marketing was involved in that particular prospect's journey and in the sale of of your product. So generally we segment it into influenced and sort of activation. Activation being right now being you know what most models are inbound models are built on, but making sure that we give credit to all of the brand efforts as well that go into sort of growing and scaling a, a business.
0: Okay, so that so that makes sense. So we've got um, very sort of future looking influenced type of activities. This is your, your content display, advertising, you know, anything that is brand building. And then there's the stuff that is very specific. Like, as you said, like an event, that's a great example, right? So somebody comes to the event, you tag them with the reader and they're right in the CRM. And then you can run a report and say, okay, well, what was the ARR that specifically came out of that event? So that one is crystal clear, and I think I think to sort of simplify what you're saying is if you just at the top end segmented by influenced and what was the other one it was activated Inf- like sort of long term and short term high intent low intent you know I think that's sort of a good place to start
2: absolutely it's it's the only place to start really yeah uh, especially if you want to look more than six months out you need to have both of those components.
1: How do we take into account, you talked about the customer journey. I mean, I've talked in the last probably two months, a huge customer and a really small customer, they both struggle with the buyer journey and the fact that it's not a straight line. How do you kind of track some of this influence when customers might be talking to other people, they might get a word of mouth referral, they might be doing all kinds of things that aren't visible? How, how do you account for or do you? As much as you
2: can, you should. It's not as it's not as cut and dry as something that is more direct response for sure. I think the important thing is to build relationships with your prospects because when you have, you're not going to capture everything. As people's sort of memories is limited around those types of things, and they're going to remember the the last couple things they did versus you know the whole host of things that they did along their along their path. But if you do a good job in your sales process of Building and even marketing. Marketers should 100% always talk to customers shortly after they've closed, even when you lose. So you understand what the impact is. You can kind of gather that information qualitatively and and use it. And if you are good at capturing it via custom fields in your CRM or uh, even notes, close loss notes, close one notes, you can sort of track that en masse. It's not as, it's like I said, it's not as cut and dry, but I think. If you have an interest in in the conversations that you can have with customers and with prospects, you can definitely capture that and you can include it into your your model. A little more complicated, but definitely doable.
0: So, what is it? What does a report look like at, at Irwin? So, you know, at the end of the if you do it weekly or, or monthly, wh- how do you how do you segment? So you have your you have your weekly sort of attributed ARR marketing attributed ARR meeting. I don't know if you have something like that. What does that discussion look like? How are you presenting the numbers? You know, how are you segmenting it?
2: Yeah, so we look at things a couple of different ways. We're always going to look at, you know, the traditional sort of funnel and the number of leads that we've generated. But one thing I think that we do differently is if somebody has been prospected by an outbound sales rep, for example, three months ago, and they download a piece of content after, we capture both of those pieces of information. So, or vice versa. So if the deal... Is created off of an outbound conversation. It the the primary source of the deal is going to be outbound. But when we look at from a reporting perspective, we include those outbound deals as marketing influenced. Mm-hmm. So we look at everything together, and we do that for pipeline predictability and for um, understanding the sales cycle. So it helps us. The more data we collect over time, the easier it is to see how long that buyer journey truly is. If somebody. Engage with a piece of content. They obviously have very low intent compared to somebody who said, "I want a demo of your of your product." And we want to we want to know both of those things. And I think, like like I said earlier, like the friction that's created by marketing and sales team over fighting who gets credit it doesn't matter at the end of the day. All that matters is that your both teams are, are are sort of collectively growing together in the best interest of the business. So we we look at both things, but we look at them in a, in a very blended way so that we have an idea of our pipeline. I would say, like, if you're talking about weekly, pipeline is probably the major piece of conversation. If you're talking about sort of long-term, that's where we separate them out and look at them a little bit more from a 10,000 foot view than so zoomed in. And And are you
0: looking at these details on a prospect by prospect basis? So you could say, okay, we've got, you know, Uh, Company A we've had three people that are part of that company. They receive these sales touches. They receive these marketing campaigns, be it display or or paid. And maybe two of them are on a a remarketing campaign. Does that sort of give you a full picture of how they're responding and how they're engaged?
2: Um, Sometimes. Generally speaking, so we actually, and I'm a big advocate for lead grading as well as a concept because as opposed to the scoring, which is based on activity, which is kind of what um you're alluding to. So one person does this and they might be super hot as a lead, but they're the wrong person. That gives you some kind of false indication about how that sort of prospect journey is going to go. So we split them out into our our perfect ICP. Perfect is probably the best word, but our ICP and who are grade A. And then we have kind of the grade B who maybe are at the right company, but they have the wrong title. Yep. And or they don't necessarily fall into our ideal buyer. And so we use that information to to look at things from an account level. So the our sales team and our marketing team and, and retargeting really focus on that grade A side and we nurture grade B's and then implement more sales tactics on those to try to get to the right contact. But we try to split it out based on actual and in an ability to buy as well. I'd say That's good.
1: Can you think whether it was at Irwin, Marissa, or even in some of your other previous work with other clients, et cetera, can you think of any aha moments that stand out for you or examples where collecting all this data, you've actually said, oh, look at this. This is something we've noticed that we wouldn't have learned otherwise. A great question. I feel like I've had many
2: of those moments in my time. I think a really good example of that is still B2B, which is interesting, but it's positioned as B2C, which is Realtor.ca, which was a a long-term client and is still a long-term client, I believe, while I was in agency. And we parsed through so much data. We did interviews with with realtors, as well as with homebuyers, and the data actually pointed us to a gap in the in the user journey, which was that people don't necessarily know what Realtor.ca is while they're renting. But if you've ever had to buy a house, you automatically know what it is because they are the the keepers of, of MLS. So there was like a huge opportunity in the the rental market to sort of build that awareness with people who might not actively be in market, but who would have the potential to buy later to sort of help increase their growth pattern. I'd say we noticed it as well when I was at that phone Canada, which is a, a telecom company, just in how we were building our marketing program, very bottom of funnel, very lead focused. And that was sort of the main KPI of the marketing team when there was this whole opportunity to sort of acknowledge someone's awareness of need before they kind of get there. So typically in telecom and internet services, which I've done a lot of work in both of those groups, people buy or sorry, brands advertise on price and features. And there's no emotional sort of aspect to that kind of business. Generally speaking, if you look at some of the larger companies in that realm, and we decided to go totally different approach we were a b2b voice over ip company and we put up billboards we we went to events we sponsored events in certain verticals our advertising was very much based on emotion i think at the time it was like the 80s called they want their phones back and we built a, a whole new pipeline around that kind of awareness building effort that we were able to see just from examining our pipeline looking at how high costs we're getting and looking at the market and and talking to customers and prospects and seeing that there just was this huge opportunity to be different, you know, and to do it in a way that more traditionally lends itself to marketing and advertising versus this new demand generation and I would say like grows at all costs kind of model that we see in a lot of SaaS businesses now.
0: So... Let me, let me ask you one of those kind of fast information questions. And and I, and I know that every business is going to have a different target audience and, you know, every business is going to find different platforms on which to promote and, and message their, their products. Have you found that there's certain either display or certain paid platforms that are really contributing to ARR or to new wins or... And and or, or are there some that are getting you lots of volume or and that are just not as good quality?
2: A really good question. And like you said, it is a little bit different depending on on the business. But I would say LinkedIn, which is funny because at the beginning of my career, when I was an agency, I would I would never really recommend going the LinkedIn route. At the time, but over the last couple of years, they've stepped up their platform, they've yep. stepped up their service and the service that they're able to provide to vendors or to advertisers. LinkedIn is has been major over the last couple of years in direct contribution to ERA. And I think a lot of marketers get caught up in like. Oh, you know, it costs a lot per lead, but so does everything else. And as if they're actually turning into pipeline and then into revenue, then I think that that's what matters.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because I think I think LinkedIn has definitely up their game. I think it is expensive, but their ability to pinpoint and segment—it used to be that Facebook was the leader in that category, but LinkedIn is caught up. And you know, for a business audience, for a business message, they're they're awesome right now.
2: Yeah, they're great. And I would say too, like. Facebook and Google have kind of gone the other direction for me. Like I used to be a big advocate of Google and I still am to an extent, but they've also gotten more expensive and they've gotten uh, relevant to the buyer. They're always going to be a part of of the buying journey, I think. But in context of, you know, Google is really great to capture high intent leads and they still are. But I've noticed over the last probably five or so years, just more of that budget moving to LinkedIn for a B2B sort of company. And Facebook has Facebook is great. They have amazing targeting capabilities. I think the rise of certain companies like Metadata is a great example of how cumbersome the advertising experience is and how someone can take that and make that easier, for, especially for a B2B market, is really indicative of, I think, where that side of the market is going unless they they change things. But yeah, the quick answer to that question would definitely be
1: LinkedIn. That's awesome. I want to dive into benchmarks or guidelines for a minute, if we could. And and let's start with what's a good guideline for a company maybe like Irwin, that I'm assuming is sales-led growth. Maybe you've got an established geography you're working in. So it's kind of a known market. Like what's a good guideline for how much of your ARR marketing should be contributing to? Is it half? Is it 20%? Like what does great look like?
2: Yeah, I think like when you're at your sort of, if you're in a peak maturity sales organization and everything has, you have like an established remops function, for example, and you have a very clear buyer and you have sort of done some of the experimentation, I would say probably between 35 and 40%. I think as you're in the scale-up phase, it's actually very, there's kind of a wide spectrum. Like there's the, the the 10%, which is, you know, you're still very early in building out your programs. I'd say a really good sweet spot would be 25 to to 30% as you're in that kind of growth mode. Okay.
1: And I want to piggyback on that a little bit and just ask, Would that? how does that change if we look at, say, a product-led growth company or one that's even going with community-led growth that isn't sales-led?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I assume that it would be less for sure. And it would be harder to quantify. So it could actually be the same. But I think like when you look at that whole dark social concept, it would just be harder to to ensure that your reporting is right on that side. So I would set the benchmark for that probably in the 10 to 15% range versus, you know, the, the sales-led growth, I think has definitely more opportunity to have a higher percentage.
0: So let me, let me continue on that and maybe go back to the very beginning. I mean, for the most part, we've been talking about paid initiatives and, you know, how do you track that or against ARR? How does, how does organic or content generation marketing activities fit into the bill?
2: It's a really great question. And, you know, it's great because for, for me at this day now, they're so blended in my, my mind that there is less of a distinction and i and i think that's important because it gives content a little bit more of a seat at the table when it is so well integrated into if you're truly talking about demand and building out demand content is such a large part of that whether you pay to sponsor it or whether it's found organically and i I think that you know to me the paid ends up being more expensive. Then the organic side, but the organic side takes longer. And I think that the beautiful marriage of those two things together is you're doing it to be valuable and you're doing it to be helpful to your end buyer. And if that is always your target, then it can be utilized in both scenarios really effectively. So having great content, having great presence, you know, we are big on thought leadership, not just in the written content sense, written content sense, but we send our founders everywhere. Any speaking opportunity that they can have, not only because they're the founders of our business, but because they have a lot of value to add to the community of investor relations and they do an excellent job at sharing that value. So I think that if you can create content for the sake of being valuable and share it in both organic and paid ways uh, really effectively and you know use it in a variety of formats and channels and and in-person, online... That's kind of like the best marriage and it all blends into one sort of loving relationship.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, you know, every single prospect that comes into the funnel, you should be tagging it. Whether this is from an event, whether it's organic, whether it's paid, whether it's an affiliate blog post that somebody wrote or track it and see which ones are working and which ones are not.
2: Yep, absolutely. And I think be very clear about what you mean by working as well, right? Like, I think if you have really strong a really strong understanding of your definition of success and sometimes that's leads but sometimes that's just intangible. So when you hear customers and prospects saying like that was actually like the best piece of content I've written I've read in my space in, in 20 years and it was really helpful for me and, and thank you for that or you know the intangible like oh I see you guys are growing really fast and it's really great to see what you've done and I think if you have very clear definitions of success and and that those definitions are very well shared and understood by your executive team. It helps marketing become more of a partner in the in the overall organization.
1: Awesome. Marissa, you mentioned a couple of things already related to the pipeline, sort of other things you look at on your reporting and context, but could you give us a short list of what this metric pairs well? With? Yeah, for sure. I think it definitely pairs well with
2: opportunities generated and, and conversion rates from leads to opportunities, as well as, you know, your close rate is a really important thing. And there, so there's marketing contributed ARR, which is generally a number. And then there's the the percent of new ARR, percent of net expansion ARR as well that it can contribute to. And so I'd say it pairs very well with those. And then kind of the standard, I would say like leads and, and conversion rates as well. But generally speaking, I would focus on the opportunities onward to to the sale and then the expansion error that comes from, you know, doing great customer marketing as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's really valuable. I think more and more we're seeing that marketing is really being held to account on the opportunity or, or revenue side. So quality, not necessarily just quantity, quality really matters.
2: 100%. And I've seen both sides of it where it was you know, people saying it, it's just a numbers game and if we get more, we'll get more. And it's never true, <laughs> unfortunately. But I, I do think that finding the right people, engaging the right people and having enough conversations with those right people will get you to the, the revenue numbers that you need to be at. More so than how many leads can we generate when those leads are either not the right fit or not ready to buy. Th- that number just screams vanity to me.
0: Any last words of advice for a marketer starting to pay more attention to attribution and the revenue journey?
2: I definitely think my best advice is to focus on it because like I said, it makes you a partner in the business more so than just a cost center. And it allows you to have meaningful conversations about about growth of the business and, and engage in you know, being a key and instrumental part of the scale that comes with focusing on these numbers. And I do think that my best advice is, is to make sure that you understand it, understand how something like brand contributes to it, even if it's a longer game, so that you can have a seat at the table when it comes to the future of the the business that you're working with. Marissa,
0: thank you so much, everybody. Marissa Homer, VP of Marketing at Irwin on the blend of both sales and marketing contributing to ARR and really looking at tagging every last little lead that comes in. Marissa, thank you so
1: much. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's conversation about metrics and data, be sure to check out Metric HQ, our online resource for the metrics that matter most to you and your business.